All right, we are in the book of John, so if you are able, um, stand with me and we will read John chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Here's what the word of the Lord says. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through them Thank you for revealing yourself ultimately, perfectly through Jesus Christ. And I thank you for this Father's Day. I thank you for the joy it is to celebrate fatherhood the way you have designed it. I pray for those fathers here in the room, those who are watching online. Father, I also pray for those with various father wounds in their life. Whether it's an absent father, maybe this is a bitter day, maybe it's a wounding because um, they've lost a child or have yet to be a father and want to be, would you bless them as well? Father, would we look to you today and find great joy in knowing who you are and how you love us? May Christ be glorified. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There is a wonderful quote by author Alistair McIntyre from his book called After Virtue. And here's what he says. He says, we can only answer the question of what we are to do or who we are to be if I can first answer the question of what story do I find myself a part of? What story do we find ourselves a part of? It makes all the difference that there is a creator God and the, that the skies aren't silent, that they aren't apathetic. It makes all the difference. He's there, but what is he like? What is this God like? Who he is has everything to do with who we are and how we ought to be. Now, in today's text, Jesus lets us in on what kind of story that we are a part of. He lets us know that it's a story with a God above. But again, what is this God like? Well, Jesus tells us and shows us that he's a father. But again, <laughs> what is this father like? After all, there's all kinds of fathers, right? There's good fathers. There's abusive fathers. There's absent fathers, there's confused fathers, there's apathetic fathers, there's checked out fathers, there's all kinds of fathers. 
So what kind of father is this God that shapes the story that we are in? We also need to contend with the fact that we are in a story with all sorts of father wounds, all sorts of broken narratives, right? There is intense damage being done to those that fathers should look out for, should protect, should help flourish. We're in a story that has all sorts of ugly fatherhood facts like these from the Census Bureau. Some 17.4 million kids plus live in fatherless homes. That's basically one in four kids. One in four. Increasing divorce rate is the leading cause of absent fathers, primarily because of our overly self-focused and individualistic culture. Second cause is having children outside of marriage and then somebody simply moving on and not being the father because of our overly sexualized and, again, individualistic society. And the data shows that when a father is absent and or abusive, children are at four times greater risk of poverty more likely to have behavioral problems, but primarily from a lack of interaction with a, with a father um, as an infant. They are at two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to commit a crime, more likely to face abuse and neglect um, by other people in their life. They are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to drop out of school, more likely to commit suicide, and the majority of inmates come from fatherless homes. Now, I say all that not to lock somebody into some kind of destiny because you don't have a father, father at home. Um, the point is, fatherhood has a lot to do with flourishing. And we have a heavenly father. So what is this heavenly father like? Well, our passage shows us. And as we get into it today, there's going to be two key words that are going to help us move through this passage. Two key words that, that I hope you'll remember throughout this week and beyond that will help you see the beauty and the goodness of who our father is. And those two words are delight and display. Display and delight. Delight and display, that's the name of the sermon here this morning. You'll, you'll see why shortly. But those are the words that are going to help us through this. So let's locate ourselves in the scripture that we just read. At this point in the narrative, at this point in the Gospel of John, we are at the end of what you could call Jesus' master class of apprenticeship. Chapter um, 13, um, as you can see up there, was the Passover meal. And then chapters 14 through 16 is just this gorgeous, this incredible, thick teaching by Jesus, teaching his apprentices. What does it mean to be united to him? What does it mean to live by the power of the Spirit, to abide in him? What does it look like to obey him? And then he's going to teach us some more through a prayer. Because at the end of this teaching, with his apprentices listening, he speaks to his father, he prays, and we get to listen in and learn some incredible things. Now, this happens the night he's betrayed and arrested. This happens the night before he's crucified. And this portion of the, the book is called the High Priestly Prayer. So, Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven. Jesus lifted his eyes to heaven. He turns to talk to the God of the heavens and earth. And he calls him Father. He calls him Father. Jesus navigated this earth by keeping his eyes locked on heaven. This is something that we should do as well. 
Jesus was attuned to his father. He was listening to him. He was obeying him. His relationship with his father shaped every other relationship in his life. Jesus' relationship with his father shaped every other relationship in his life. And as an apprentice of Jesus, as a Christian, that means we are those who address God as father because the spirit of the son lives within us. So just as the spirit... The Holy Spirit was in Jesus. The Spirit is within us, and it, He is the Spirit of adoption. He is the Spirit of sonship. Right? He cries out, Abba, Abba, Father. So the Spirit of God knows God as Father. Again, what is this Father like? Well, let's learn by listening to Jesus' prayer here. So I'd like to look at verses 1 and 4 together here. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So Jesus says the hour has come. That means something is about to happen. An appointed time has, has arrived. This has been orchestrated. Something is about to happen. Something that will glorify the Son, that will then in turn glorify the Father. But what in the world does that mean, like to glorify? I don't think we should take that word for granted, or else it falls into just this religious-y sounding kind of mode where it's, it sounds important, but really if somebody said, what does that mean? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> so what does it mean to glorify? I want to make sure this is helpful for us, Okay. So this word, uh, glorify, uh, comes from a, a Greek word, doxa, which uh, is the word for, for glory, which has to do with having um, an opinion or, or, or um, seeing something as, as it is. And the word doxazo, you can see it there, it's kind of a fun word, see doxazo there, that's the word glorify. And, and basically it means um, it's the appearance of something or it's the showing forth of something. Um, lofty theologians like to say it's the external elegance of the internal excellencies of God. Okay, it's the external display of the internal excellencies of God. It, it means to make something uh, public, to go public with something, to make it renowned, famous, to render it um, illustrious. Or you could say it means to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become uh, acknowledged, to become seen. It's a shining forth. It's, a make, it's making something visible um, that once was not seen. And one of the key ways that, that this is uh, translated in the scriptures is to clothe in splendor. Um, and that means something like to show forth the beauty, the goodness, and the truth of something, okay? To show forth the goodness, the beauty, and the truth of something. Now, if you're like me, that's all like, oh, okay, that's just kind of floaty <laughs> and up here. That doesn't help me all that much. Um, so what if we do this? Maybe this will help you, um, it helped me. What if we use the word display? What if we use the word display? To glorify means to display the beauty, goodness, and truth of someone or something. Okay? To display the beauty, goodness, and truth of someone or something. Now this might sound odd at first, but, but I think it's going to help us. So think of a display of a digital device. Okay? Ever seen one of those? Okay, think of a display of a, a digital device. So, so there you go. There, there is a display on a laptop, for example. Radiant display. Or think of the display on 
your iPhone. Anyone have a phone? Take it out. It's okay, you can take it out. I'm not going to yell at you. Like, like, take it out. Most likely, if you look at it, if you just move it, it lights up, right? Now, if you push the buttons and it's not lighting up and the display is broken, you have a problem, right? Because now it's functionally useless, okay? Without that display, without that radiant glow of pixels, right? Without that illuminating image, you wouldn't have access to the internal power, to the beneficial functions, to the beautiful pictures of vacation at Avila Beach that you just went to. You couldn't see them. You couldn't pull them up. They're there, but you have no access to them, right? You wouldn't have access to all the writings and all the documents and all of the notes that you have taken. Without that display, you do not get to experience or engage with all the good stuff that's there, right? Without the display, it's basically an inaccessible black box. You can't interact with it. So a display is a shining forth. It's a making known. And that is needed to enjoy, understand, and engage the good stuff that's there. Are you, are you with me? Does that make sense? I'm not calling Jesus an iPhone, just so you know, okay? But let's, let's go with this here for a little bit. So with this idea of a display being something that's um, a glowing visual that helps us to access something that we couldn't access or engage without the display. Let's reread those verses we just read, okay? Verse 1 and verse 4. When Jesus had spoken these words, that's the teaching on apprenticeship, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Display the beauty, goodness, and truth of your Son. That the Son may display your beauty, goodness, and truth. I displayed your beauty, goodness, and truth on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Does that seem maybe a little more helpful than just the word glorify? Take it out of the religious realm and explain it that way. Jesus says he displayed the beauty, goodness, and truth of the Father on earth, having accomplished the work that he gave him to do. In other words, the life and ministry of Jesus has showed forth the beauty, the goodness, and the truth of who the Father is. He's displayed it for the world to see. The watching world has seen who the Father is because of what Jesus has done because of the work that he accomplished in his life. Now check out verse 6. This is really cool because um, Jesus puts forward the same idea but uses a little different word, Okay? Verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, another word nerd moment with that word manifested there is phanerao. Um, and that word to manifest means to make something visible. Something is now being Revealed. It's to expose to view. It's to make something evident. Okay? So he says, I have manifested your name. I have made visible your name. What in the world does that mean? Your name. Well, um, and and the, the Jewish understanding, a name wasn't just simply a word. It was a way to encapsulate who somebody is. To um, encapsulate 
their, their character. So he says, I have made known who you are. Father, I have manifested your very character, who you are to this watching world. So um, you could say that Jesus is the glowing display. He's the glowing analog, I should say. He's made of flesh and bone, right? The glowing analog display of who the Father is. This is why in the book of Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is called the image of the invisible God. This is why in Hebrews chapter 1, he is called the radiance of the glory of God. He is God the Father expressed here on on this earth. Remember, we have a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what does this teach us? Let me distill it this way. The Father displays the Son, and the Son displays the Father. The Father displays the Son, the Son displays the Father. The Father, in His love for this world, gives His Son so that the Son might be displayed, and the Son then lives His life that the Father would be displayed, would be seen to this world. And so, how do you know what God is like? How do you know what the Father's like? We look at the Son, right? You look at, at Jesus. We are not left to our own devices to make up or to invent what the Father is like. Jesus has shown us what the Father is like. God's not a black box who is left unknown to us. He's been revealed. We know the Father because we know the Son. What the Son shows forth is what the Father is like. And so what in the world is the Father like? Well, he's like what Jesus is like. And what is Jesus like? Oh, we could do this, this part all day. What is Jesus like? He is full of grace and full of truth. He's tender when he sees that being tender is the thing to express love. He is tough when he knows that toughness needs to enter into the situation to show somebody that they have worth, that they have dignity, that they are cared for. He's abounding with compassionate love. He has showed that he is willing to heal the sick, to, to open the eyes of the blind, to open the ears of the deaf, deaf to, to put the energy back into the legs of the paralytic. We know he is willing to heal. We know he's capable of healing. He's patient. He's kind. He's long-suffering. He is incredibly slow to anger. He has shown that he has a love for righteousness. And he loves what is holy and what is good. He has shown that he rightfully judges injustice. He goes into the temple courts and flips over those tables because the injustice that was being committed there was keeping people from seeing the love of his father. And this same one who goes flipping tables is the one who says, no, no, no. No, bring the kids to me. Let me bless them. While other adults are shooing them away, this Jesus is saying, bring the children to me. While other adults are shooing away those outside of Jericho with disabilities, he says, no, no, they get my time, they get my attention. And he touches them and he heals them and 
and he loves them. He has shown mercy to the broken and the marginalized. He crossed boundaries. He did what was socially unthinkable because he was doing what was heavenly righteous. He crossed boundaries to speak to that woman at the well and to show her her worth and her dignity and her value, right? He's shown that he is loaded with incredible power. He told the storm, shut up and sit down, and it did. And he told demons to leave, and at his word they fled. Like, this is Jesus. The one who was so magnetic, the one who drew people to him, the one who protected the vulnerable, the one who went after those who were in power and who were abusing it, right? This is Jesus. He's love. The father of the story of our lives is this kind of father. When you think of what kind of father is the father in scriptures, think about what Jesus has done and who he is. Sometimes we, we do this weird thing where we think Jesus is like this way. He's super nice and friendly and like walking around doing all this friendly cool stuff. And then we got this like really grumpy, crotchety father in heaven who's just like kind of putting up with this Jesus who's doing stuff. He's like, whatever, fine, okay, bring him home, I guess. It's not how it works out at all, right? The Father is seen through the Son. So in a, in a ragged world with, with shattered experiences of fatherhood, we need to be refathered. We radically need to be refathered, and for that we need Jesus the Son because Jesus the Son shows us the Father. So the Father displays the beauty and the goodness and the truth of the Son. He sends him, and the Son then displays the beauty and the goodness and the truth of the Father. So display. Right. We tracking? Connecting? Okay, cool. Let's talk about delight. Look at verses 2 through 5. Since you have given him, that's Jesus saying, since you have given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That's just one of those like mind blow verses. Like what? Before the foundations of the earth. Okay, so the Father has given Jesus' Son authority over all humanity. Right? All of us are put in his life-giving charge. He is the cosmic king. Why has he been given this trust of authority because the Father's love in him? Well, that Jesus might then give eternal life to everyone. He says, you've given me this authority that eternal life might come through me to everyone. And remember John 3, 16, right? For God, what? So loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have. So shorten that sentence up. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that they would have eternal life, right? And then... 
This is, this is all additive, like it, it's just growing. And then just look at this mind-blowing verse, verse 5 again. Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before you, uh, with you before the world existed. What does this mean? Well, the Son of God had ever existed in perfect, glorious relationship with the Father. So think of it this way, like what in the world was Jesus, or let me, let me rephrase that, what in the world was the Son of God doing before the world was created? <laughs> what, what was the Son of God doing before history even began? Check this out. So if you go a little bit further in chapter 17 to verses 22 and 24, you get this. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, again, this is still Jesus praying, I have given to them. Whoa, whoa, like he's sharing this goodness and the the beauty and the truth that always was. He's sharing that with with you and you and you and me. That they may be one, even as we are one. There's this unity thing happening here. I in them and you in me, that they may become one perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and you love them even as you loved me stop right there the father loves you as he's loved his son forever and ever will is it any wonder that we crave being loved we are designed to feast upon the eternal undying glorious Love of God. That's why we were created. And he goes on, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. That you have given me, and then here it is, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So what's going on before all of this ever began? Father is loving the Son. And the Son is loving the Father. The Father delights in the Son. Always has, always will. So there is this eternal relationship of delight between the Father and the Son. So when you conceive of a Christian God that isn't full of delight, that isn't full of joy, that that isn't just bursting with love, you have some other vision of God than what the Scriptures put forward. Because this is the God of the Bible. Now, this is so cool. One of the most astounding moments where we see this truth shown um, in, in the Gospels is the baptism of Jesus. So you remember the baptism of Jesus? There in the muddy waters um, of the Jordan, we have the wild-eyed, crazy-haired, like, um, just pioneer kind of figure of John the Baptist, right? And he's, he's baptizing people. And Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. And, and during that baptism, it says, um, the, the word is ri- literally ripped open. The sky is ripped open as Jesus is baptized. The spirit descends and a voice from heaven. Whose voice is coming from heaven? Yeah, the father's voice is about to be spoken over his son. And do you know what he says in Luke three twenty-two? You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Let me just say that. And you think of somebody in your life that you, you love. Maybe you've never heard these words from them or maybe you have. But let me, 
repeat this one more time and think about that person in your life that has just meant so much to you. You are my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. Tell me that doesn't draw up some ache in your heart or fill you with joy. This is how Jesus' ministry begins with a profound and deep and beautiful affirmation that he is the beloved son of the Father. And again, the Father says this at the Mount of Transfiguration, another key moment. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is the Father's delight. He is the Father's absolute delight. And so what do we learn from this? Let's distill this point. The Father delights in the Son, and the Son delights in the Father. Now, how do we know that the Son delights in the Father? From a number of verses throughout Scripture, but in our passage here, remember it said, or Jesus said that he accomplished the work that the Father gave him to glorify him? Jesus tells us that if you love me, you will obey me. Jesus links love and obedience. And he has obeyed the Father perfectly, even at great cost physically to himself, right? He has obeyed the Father, showing his love and delight in the Father. He spends time with the Father. He gets up early in the morning. He goes out late at night just to be alone with the Father. Not because he has to, not because somebody said, Jesus, you better pray, you know, get your devotions in, Jesus. Because he loves his Father and he wants to spend time with him. The Father delights in the Son, the Son delights in the Father. Now, at the very heart of reality is a relationship of eternal delight. That's a cool thought. At the very heart of reality is this relationship of eternal delight. And one of the the most profound aches of the human heart is the desire to be delighted in by the one you most delight in. One of the great aches of our heart is to be delighted in by the one that we delight in or to be loved by the one that we deem most lovely. We are wired for a mutual delight of being known and being loved. And this is exactly why middle school and high school can be so hard. And this is exactly why the dating scene can be so hard. And this is exactly why marriage can be so hard. This is exactly why being a child or being a parent can be so painful because unreturned delight, unrequited love just eviscerates your heart. When you have affection for someone, desire for someone, delight in someone, and they couldn't give a rip if you're in the room, it guts you, right? We want to be delighted in. We want to be delighted in. This is this has really impacted me this year. Um, it, it's led to me doing something different um, when I tuck my kids into bed. Um, so so I have a new rhythm when I when I tuck my three kids into bed. Um, and so what what I do lately, just in light of this truth, is um, I, I start with my son and then I go to my my daughters because my wife is reading to my daughters. I'm reading to my son, and and so um, I'll get close, and then I'll, I'll I'll grab Silas's head, you know, like his cheeks like this. And then um, I'll, I'll look into his eyes, and then, then I'll, I'll kiss his forehead. Um, and then, I, again, looking into his eyes, I say, Silas, you are my beloved son. I delight in you. 
and I cross the hall and I go to my, my little girl's bunks. And I start with Livy because she's on the bottom bunk and I put her little face in, in my hands if I can get her because she's all wiggly, you know. Um, she's our live wire. And I, I look in her eyes until we make eye contact and I kiss her forehead and then I pull back and look in her eyes and I say, Olivia, you are my beloved daughter. I delight in you. Amen. And I go to Hadley and I do the same. I grab her thin little face and kiss her on the forehead. I lock eyes and I say, Hadley Marie, you are my beloved daughter and I delight in you. And you know what happens in each one of them almost every time? Something reflexive in the soul moves and their face just goes bing and they light up. Because at this point in my life, and I know it's short-lived, those of you with middle schools and high schoolers, you can tell me it's short-lived. At this point in my life, in their life, they think I'm pretty amazing. And they want dad to be with them. And so when the one that they want to be with them says, I delight in you, it does a deep formative work in their soul. Now, if we can weave some of these insights together, we see this. The father delights in and displays the son. The son delights in and displays the father. It is this ever upward spiral of joy and loving radiance. This is the eternal life that we are drawn into. There's a deep mutual affection and reflection of the goodness of each other in this relationship of father and son this is exactly what Jesus is teaching us about having eternal life. Remember, eternal life is defined in this passage not just as living forever. It's not just quantity of life. It's quality of life. It's a relationship, right? He says this is, what, this is, this is eternal life, to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we should let Jesus define eternal life instead of make up our own definitions, okay? So this is how Jesus defines it. It's to know God. And that word know doesn't mean just to think about it. It means to, to have heart connection. It's relationship. It's intimacy. To have relationship with God, that's eternal life. And so eternal life, you could say then, is this. Based off of what he just taught us. Eternal life is to be lovingly drawn in to the mutual delight and display of the Father and of the Son. To be drawn into this eternally deep, eternally wide, forever high relationship of love and delight. That is what we're drawn into as followers of Jesus. That's incredible. Now, the question is, how in the world does that happen? Well, in Jesus' prayer, he mentions his hour. Remember his hour? Well, what's his hour? What's about to happen the next day? You got it. You got it. Crucifixion and his exaltation, right? He's going to be lifted up. He's going to be put on the cross for our sins. He will display the love of God on the cross. And the cross, the agonizing enthronement of Jesus, displays the beauty, the goodness, and the truth of who the Son is. And displays the goodness and beauty and truth of the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. On the cross, we see the love of God on radiant 
display, right? And so what Satan meant to display his sick victory becomes the display of God's unconquerable love. So, so do this with me now. Now imagine how this beautiful and good truth of the story that we live in with that kind of God who oversees it all, imagine how living in that story can change your soul and can change the world. Imagine there were millions and millions of people across this globe that were refathered by God because they saw the Father through the Son. Imagine there are millions and millions of parents across this globe who are refathered by the gospel, who knew the Father because they knew the Son and knew that they were drawn into this eternal light and given that deep confidence that they were loved so much so that they could then pour out to others so that they could then look at their children who are craving, who are craving their parents' delight and say, you are delighted in, not just by me, but by the Heavenly Father who created you. Do you think that that might be formative on their souls when they go to elementary school, when they go to middle school, and they go to high school, and they're seeking delight in some man or some woman or some studies or some sports to give them validation? There's this gaping hole in our people. There's this gaping hole in our, in our kids. And the only thing that will fill that up is the love of God that says, I delight in you. The proof is Christ on the cross. We need to be refathered by the gospel, don't we? To know at the deepest level that to be a follower of Jesus means that we are drawn into this eternal light to be a joyful people and that our lives will then be a glowing display of his beauty, goodness, and truth. So because of Jesus, because his spirit is now within us, we know that the Father delights in us. It is our assurance. And, and do this with me. Church, imagine this. How in the world did Jesus, like how in the world did Jesus face such brutal resistance with indomitable joy and gracious grit? How did he do that? How could Jesus walk confidently into the profound pain of his mission that was before him with such composure. How could he do that? How could Jesus respond with such profuse love when being tortured and when being shamed? He had in his heart, in his blood, in his bones, the delight and affirmation of his father. He knew who he was. He knew he was loved. Do you? Because I guarantee you on most Mondays, I don't feel that right away. Sometimes I leave church on a Sunday not feeling that, feeling like I messed that up and somehow I'm less loved because the sermon wasn't what I wanted it to be. Like, do, do we live in this affirmation? It would change everything. It would change how we love our spouses, how we love our coworkers how we love our children. He could do this. Jesus could do this because the spirit of sonship was in him. Because he knew he was the beloved son in whom the father was well pleased. His ministry started with that blessing. That's important. 
That's important. Now, it's Father's Day, right? It's Father's Day. And so, fathers, I pray that we're taking this to heart today. And I I know to some degree many of your stories, and I know to some degree the wounds that you face and the insecurities that you harbor because I, I have them rolling around in me, okay? I know the shadows of doubt that rise from your own childhood, the wounds of a father's absence, the wounds of a toxic father's presence, the wounds of a father's incompetence, the wounds of a father's abuse. I know the desire to want to be a real good dad and leave history behind, yet feeling that persistent feeling of I'm a failure and I'm a fake and I can't do this and the kids deserve a better dad. Anyone else? All these things, all these pains can haunt us, they can dog us, they can sabotage us, they can steal our joy, and they can be passed down to our kids. Whatever father wounds that aren't transformed by the gospel will most likely be transmitted to our kids. That's that's even hard for me to say because it's scary to say. Whatever father wounds that aren't transformed by the gospel will most likely be transmitted to our kids. To father well, we need to see Jesus, for when we see Jesus, we see the good father who loves us. Our vocation as fathers is to delight in the father and to display his love and to disciple our kids to delight in the father and display his love because of the work of Jesus Christ by the power of the spirit moving within them. That's our vocation as fathers. And do you want to father well? Be a man of scripture meditation. Soak in the word, because who does the word show us? Who does the word point to from, from Genesis to Revelation? Who does it reveal? Jesus. Lock your gaze on Jesus. Take your eyes, lock your eyeballs on Jesus. Feast on Christ. He will transform you, because when we feast on Christ, then we see the Father. To be Christ-centered is to be Father-focused, because we see the Father through Christ. It's not either or, it's both and. Christ-centered and Father-focused, Right? Do you want to father well? Be a man of unceasing prayer, talking first and most to God about everything. Let your kids see you talk to God while you're in the garage working on a project, while you're in the backyard, while you're going out out the door to church, whatever it is. Be, Be a man who lives his life in community who gets his family and his kids to a community where they can serve and be served, where the gospel is highlighted, where we can sing songs to his praise and to his glory. Put that higher than other events. Be a man with unhurried presence, attuning yourself to the presence of God in every situation, letting the relationship with the Father shape all other relationships. Be a man of joyful generosity. Give your life away, your time, your talent, your treasures. Show your kids that it's okay to give money to the Lord's work and and to give your hands and to give your energies and efforts to the kingdom. Show them that it's a beautiful thing. Be a man of compassionate gentleness. Use the power that God gave you, 
not to bully or to coerce, but use it for the flourishing of others at cost to self. And be a man of faithful witness in word and deed showing that Christ is king. Now, I have to close this, but I got to say this. If you have been, if you have been that absent father, if you have been that apathetic father, if you have been that abusive father, if you have been that incompetent, unintentional, checked out or confused father, would you please hear this? There is a grace that is so deep and wide it'll blow your mind. There is a mercy and a love in Christ that can redeem anything you have done. That can restore anything you have broken. There's hope. There's forgiveness. And if you're in here and there's no father for your kids, or if there's no father in your life and you're a kid, God can work something beautiful. So don't walk out of here hopeless. Walk out of here with hope. Because our great Father is writing the story that you live in. Jesus died that you might be refathered. So, what is God the Father like? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. What story do we find ourselves in? One that is being told and overseen by a good, good Father. I want to close with this. Let me close by praying Jesus' words from Matthew 5 16 over you all. He says this, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So my friends, may your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. May you delight in and display the beauty, the goodness, and the truth of your Father in heaven. Delight and display. Delight and display.